Um, Parshas Truma, of course, discusses the um, topic of the building of the Mishkan, um, but the Pasuk is inconsistent in the way that it describes the Mishkan. First, it's Va'asuli Mikdash V'shachanti B'Saycham. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you should build me a, be- uh, a Mikdash um, temple V'shachanti B'Saycham and I will dwell within it. So because of the inconsistency a little bit in the language, is it referred to as a Mikdash? Is it referring to a Beis HaMikdash? Or is it referring to the Mishkan, which was in the Midbar? So the Chaim HaKadosh writes that, in fact, uh, alluded to already in this Pasuk is that the Mishkan would not be something that would last Lodoros for generations, but rather would evolve over time into the Beis HaMikdash, and all of these were um, folded in to the mitzvah to build the Mishkan. So the Mikdash, which included the mitzvah to not only build the Mishkan in the Midbar, but the Beis HaMikdash later on in Eretz Yisrael, and that's why uh, the language of the Pasuk includes both. the Mikdash, And in fact, he cites over here the Rambam, and Ilchas Beis Abchira that derives the mitzvah to build the Beis Hamikdash in Yushalayim from the pasuk with regards to the Mishkan. Even though that's referring to the Mishkan, it included the Beis Hamikdash as well. And in fact, the idea, the suggestion, the Rechaim Hakadosh is confirmed by the Zayar, which comments over here: Ois Beis Vasuli Mikdash Shachanti B'Soicham Vasuli Mikdash Tam. It says Vasuli Mikdash Tam, which is kind of generic or could be interpreted in more than one way. The Kol Bei Kanish to the Alma Mikdash. Because every uh, Beis HaKnesses will see, but even the Beis HaMikdash itself was a continuation of the Mishkan. The Mishkan didn't stop, and then you know, we had a Beis HaMikdash in Yushalayim. The Beis HaMikdash is a continuation of the Mishkan. But not only is the Beis HaMikdash you know, a continuation of the Mishkan, it, it seems that every Beis HaKnesses is really a miniature uh, Beis HaMikdash and connected part of the uh, timeline all the way back to the Mishkan in the Midbar. The Gemara says over here, Mesechlis Megil, Chavtes Medalov, commenting in the Post, can say for you, Miyohu, Hilahem, Mikdash Miyat, Amr Abyitzchak, Elu Bate Knesis, Bate Midrash, Shev Abavel, even those uh, shuls and uh, study halls of Esa Medrash that are in Bavel are also a continuation going all the way back to the Mishkan and to the Beis HaMikdash. It's considered to be a Mikdash uh, Miyat. Is this a concept? That is Da'iraisa, is this a concept that is only Midrabanan? Um, so there are many Rishonim who believe that in fact this is a concept in Da'iraisa, and that Mordechai, the Mordechai, that Gemara, so the Mordechai cites a Sifra, which I gave you over here, Oizdal, and Parshat Bechukaisev, Ashimoisis, Mikdashechem, in the midst of the Taichacha, Kadishbarach, who um, curses Klaisov, Ashimoisis, Mikdashechem, I'll destroy your Bate Mikdash. Why is it in plural? Mikdashechem. More than one. So maybe it's the Bayes Yishon and the Bayes Sheni. However, the Sifra comments, Mikdash, Mikdashi, Mikdashechem, L'Rabos, Bote Knesis, Bote Midrashos. That these are also considered to be an incarnation of the Beis HaMikdash itself. So the Bote Knesis, Yishon, and Babel have a status of Kedusha that's similar to that of the Beis HaMikdash. It's a continuation of the Beis HaMikdash. And the Mordechai cites this over here, and therefore he writes, to destroy a Beis HaMikdash is an Easter Midday Raisa. Because the Apostle says, when he tossed them as Mizbechoy Sam, he's supposed to destroy the, the uh, house of worship of other religions, right, of the Avedah Zara. But loisasun kein l'ashem alekeichem. You shouldn't do so with regards to the um, house of worship that are, that are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So you're supposed to destroy and weed out the Batei Avedah Zara the sources of uh, worshiping about this hour, but therefore that implies we have to augment, we have to keep, we have to preserve the Batechnesios and we should not um, destroy them. The Rambam as well, over here, Isaiah, has a list of the mitzvahs, of course, the Minyan HaMitzvahs, but then there's like a table of contents. There's a Minyan HaMitzvahs HaKotzer, that's what it's known as. So over here, in the, sometimes in the table of contents, uh, the Rambam has Chidushim. 
uh, in the way that he phrases things, you see, you know, how the Ramam distilled it and, and what he, he felt was important. So the Ramam over here, in, in his minion, Mrs. Hakatsir, he writes, In the prohibition to destroy the base Hamikdash of Loisasun Kain Lashem Alekechem, the Ramam includes not only the base Hamikdash proper, but the Knesios of Batamid Rashos as well. Loisasun Kain Lashem Alekechem seems to be included in the prohibition. Um, the Uraim goes in a different direction, but same idea that believes that there's Kedusha to the base of Knesses, Midda similar to the way that the Mishkan, you know, transferred or evolved into the base of Mikdash. So that can further evolve into the Bate Knesses, Bate Midrashas. So if Uraim doesn't focus so much on the issue of destroying it, but rather on the uh, respect and fear that you have to have. The attitude that you have to have, the mindset that one has to have in the base Hakanesis. He writes that just like in the base Hamikdash, there was a mitzvah of as Shab society Shmeru Mikdashiti Ra'u. You have to fear the base Hamikdash, and therefore we have to conduct ourselves with a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit more you know, of a sober attitude. So, so too in the base Hakanesis, that same requirement exists with regards to the you know the the mitzvah of Umikdashi Tirau. So there are many Rishayim who believe, and it sounds like even already from the Sifra, an allusion to the fact that this uh, Kedusha that exists in the Beis HaKnesses as a uh, evolution, incarnation of the Beis HaMikdash is an, a, actually a concept Midoy Raisa. The Ran, Mesechlis Megillah, disagrees over here, Oisei, and he quotes in the name of the Ramban. He has a dispute with the Ramban as to the particulars, the details of the matter, but they both believe that the Kedusha of the Shul is only the Rabbanon. The question is, though, what kind of the Rabbanon, or what kind of Kedusha does the Shul have? Because there's really two kinds of um, Kedusha that we have. The Gemara says, I apologize, I didn't give it to you, I thought it was here. The Gemara says in Mesechus Megillah that we have two kinds of Kedusha, or two kinds of, of items that are used for a mitzvah. We have what's known as Tashmishe Mitzvah, a sukkah, a lulav, tzitzis, that's used for a mitzvah, and Tashmishe Kedusha. Those are things that have the shame Hashem within them, or they're used for Talmud Torah. It's derived, it's related to the Sefer Torah. So the mantle of the Sefer Torah, the Aaron. Uh, tefillin, mezuzah, anything that is a shame, Hashem, kisvei hakodesh, is tashmishe kedusha. And the Gemara in Mesechus Megillah um, um, explains, delineates that there is a difference in how one has to treat them after they're no longer uh, needed or they're no longer functioning. Tashmishe mitzvah lachers man mitzvasan on nizrakin. You can throw them in the garbage. So after the lulav is over with, we, we throw them over here, which just creates a big mess, even though I understand it's an old minig. But anyway, someone has to clean up the mess. There are no little munchkins that come in here and clean it up. But so, Tashmishay mitzlach is manu, it's also on his rock, and you can really take it and throw it in the garbage. The, the later person can say it's not nice to put it next to the banana peels and the, and the, you know, and the, the tuna fish cans. So, better to put it in a separate bag, and then you can put it in the garbage. So, the lulav, the esrig, uh, tzitzis should have been that way too, but tzitzis is a little bit different because of uh, the taryag and all the different things. So tzitzis we treat a little bit more uh, carefully. Where but, did the minute with Tzitzis come in? People, a lot of people say that Tzitzis no? Yeah, that's like uh, starting over. You're, you're taking your mitzvahs and you're saying, I'm not you know, going to continue. That's more of a... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the AP course of Judaism. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's really the, the basics. Um, but really, you could take it and you could, you could if you're a Kalta Gutfak, you take it, put it in the garbage bag, and you could, you could throw it out. Tashmisha Kedusha, of course not. That requires uh, Geniza. It has to be taken care of more properly, you know, uh, more, more formally and buried because of the Kedusha Shaboy. So anything that's related to terrorists, Tashmisha Kedusha requires a different kind of burial than Tashmisha uh, Mitzvah. How should we treat the Shul? Is the Shul Tashmisha Mitzvah or is the Shul Tashmisha Kedusha? Fascinating debate between the Ramban and the Ran. The Ramban believes that it's like Tashmisha Mitzvah. You use it for 
for a mitzvah. Um, just like sukkah, just like lulav, lachas, ma mitzvahs, and are nizrakin. So it no longer has kedusha after the, uh, the shul becomes obsolete. So then its kedusha dissipates. The, Ram, uh, the Ran is not happy with that. The Ran over here on the last line of Oisei, the whole purpose of the shul is to say words of kedusha, to use the shame Hashem. So in that sense, it's similar to Tfil and it's similar to Mezuzah. So Chazal established that there should be kedusha there, midrabanan, like Tashmishe, kedusha like Tfilin, like a Sefer Torah, like a Mezuzah, but here only midrabanan. So it sounds like even the Ramban would probably argue that the kedusha of the shul is only midrabanan. They're arguing about is the kedusha of the shul similar to Tashmishe Mitzvah? You know, after it becomes obsolete, maybe the, the Kedusha dissipates, or is it similar to Tashmishe Kedusha, because that's the whole purpose for which the Shul was established. But they both seem to agree that the Kedusha of the Shul is only Midr Anyway, there's certainly Kedusha to the Shul, whether it's Deiraisa, like many Rishadim seem to believe, the Rambam, the Reim, the Mordechai, like maybe the Zayar Kodesh implies the Sifra, or maybe the Kedusha of the Shul is only Midr but certainly there is a certain measure of Kedusha to the Shul that is patterned after, that is seen as a continuation of the Mishkan, and then to the Beis HaMikdash, and now to the Batek Nesis, Batek Midrash for that reason, of course, um, we construct the shul, right, in a similar way to the Beis HaMikdash. There's a Toisefta, Mesefta's Megillah, I believe, that says the, um, just like in the Beis HaMikdash, you have to have an Aaron. So in the shul, you have to have an Aaron. Just like in the Beis HaMikdash, the door was opposite the Aaron, right? You entered on the other side of the building than where the Aaron was. Um, so to in the shul, the door should be opposite where the Aaron is. Sometimes in the shuls, the door is on the side. It's really supposed to be, and you have no choice, but it's supposed to be in the back of the shul, so the door... Uh, you enter in opposite the Aaron. That's why, boy, v'shalom, you turn around and face the door because the Malachi Asharis, and, uh, you know, we're greeting them or saying goodbye to them, whatever we're doing. So, so then you're supposed to turn around to face the door. If the door is on the side, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway, but that's what the Tosefta says is the, the way that the shul should be constructed. And we know that there's other parallels between the Beis HaMikdash and the way the Beis HaKnesses is, is designed. One is supposed to be patterned, uh, you know, one is supposed to be the Mechitza, the whole institution of an Ezra's Nashim and an Ezra's Anoshim is patterned after the Beis HaMikdash. So there's certainly many parallels between the way the Beis HaKnesses is constructed and the way that we're supposed to treat it with the way the Beis HaMikdash was constructed and the way the Beis HaMikdash was treated. So it has a certain measure of Kedusha. For that uh, reason, and that's why, by the way, many say over here, Oiskas, and this is important, is that uh, just like there's a mitzvah to build a Beis HaMikdash, there's a mitzvah perhaps to build a Beis HaKnesses. Every community should have, uh, I don't know if there's a mitzvah to build extra shuls, you know, but, you know, uh, but w- there is a mitzvah to have a shul in a community. So much so, that the Shulchan Aruch says over here on Chayshim Mishpah, Simen Kuf Gimel, that there are certain things that you can force, you can compel the other members of the city to participate um, in funding. So obviously, if there's services that we all want, and we vote as a majority to invest, you know, that we want garbage, so then even a person who doesn't want garbage collection has to pay for it because he's part of a community and the majority of the community voted to for that they would, would like to have this service so then everybody in the community is compelled kind of like a co-op everyone in this community is compelled to pay uh you know their their maintenance fee for this service what if it, the majority doesn't want it only the minority wants it so they can't usually force the majority to go ahead with a certain service or 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 or, or uh, uh yeah. And any kind, any kind, you know, yeah, any something else is taking place, so they, they can't compel the minority. What if what the minority wants is a mitzvah? <coughs> then the minority can compel the majority to follow their view. So therefore, it says in the Shulchan Aruch, if the minority even wants a shul, they can compel the majority to follow their view um, uh, to build a shul. Why? Because building a shul is a mitzvah. What mitzvah? So the answer is also It's a continuation of the Beis Hamikdash, just like every the Jewish community had to have a Beis Hamikdash. We always, and wherever we're living, have to have a place to commune, to experience, to interact with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. 
whether it was the Mishkan in the Midbar, the Beis HaMikdash in Eretz Yisrael, or in subsequent uh, times, when we no longer have a Beis HaMikdash, some uh, entity, some place where everyone can gather to, uh, to, uh, to, to Dab to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, every community has to have such a, you know, such a place. So therefore, the community, as part of a properly functioning community, has to have a Beis HaKnesis. You can even compel the majority to fund the Beis HaKnesis, even though they're not in favor of it. Because it's a continuation of the Beis HaMikdash. Because of that, it has certain measure of Kedusha. And therefore, writes the Mishnah Mesechus Megillah, but here, Ois Tes. Bnei Ha'ir, you know, what can you sell a shul to purchase? So if you sell a town square, Bnei Ha'ir Shemachu Rechova, Sho'ir Glochem B'davam Beis HaKnesis. If they sell the town square, they can use it to buy a shul. Beis HaKnesis, Leichem Teva. You can sell a shul to purchase an Aron. Teva, Leichem Metpachos. From the Aron, if you sell the Aron, you can buy a mantle for the Sefer Torah. Metpachos, Yichus Farim. From the mantle, you can buy Svarim. From Svarim, you can buy a Sefer Torah. But you can only go up in Kedusha. So, because of the principle, you cannot go down in um, Kedusha. And there are certain things for which you can sell a Sefer Torah for, learning, whatever, whatever it is you can sell a Sefer Torah for, but the rare instances. But other than that, that's the highest of the pyramid of Kedusha. You cannot sell, you know, you cannot go down um, in Kedusha. What if I'm making a lateral move? I want to sell the shul to buy another shul. So that's two opinions over here in the... In the Rishayim is quoted by the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch quotes both opinions. Typically, we're machmir. So over here in Simon Kufnun Gimel Siv Dalit over here is Yod and Muta Lignos B'dmei Kedusha Achas Kedusha Acheres Kayyotze by a lateral move in Kedusha. Yesh Oisrim Yesh Matirim. There are those who permit it. There are those who prohibit it. And we are typically machmir um, unless it's a Shas Achak not to sell a shul to purchase uh, another shul. A lateral move is uh, is typically. Uh, not advisable. So if you're going to sell a shoe, it has to be to purchase something of greater Kedusha. Why? Because a shoe has Kedusha, um, and therefore you shouldn't compromise this Kedusha unless you're building something with greater nicer, Kedusha. But, but how do you define bigger and nicer? In other words, you, I didn't even say within shoe. The, a bigger shoe is not more holy than a smaller shoe. A nicer, a, a, a nicer shoe? No, no, no. You can't sell a shoe to purchase another shoe. No. <coughs> to sell a shoe to purchase a terror, to sell a shoe to purchase a manto. Oh, oh. But to sell a shul to make a lateral move to another shul, that's that's not. So you're not you're only allowed to go up in kedusha. However, the Gemara stipulates, which I think what you're already bothered by, the Gemara already stipulates over here. Um, one second, the Gemara says oh, here three lines from the bottom of Ice Test. Amar Rava Loishanu El Shlomachu Shiva Tuve Ha'ir B'May Meranshe Ha'ir. That's only if the seven Tuve Ha'ir, the seven custodians of the uh, of the city, didn't sell. Ke- Together, meaning they made a proclamation, a, you know, a announcement to the entire community, we're selling the shul. If they do such, and the whole community decides to sell the shul, then it is permitted, of a, even if you're going down in Kedusha, even if you can use it for something else. Even if you're going to buy a beer hall, it's permitted as long as it's done with the permission, with the consent of the Shivet Tuve Ha'ir, Ha'ir. Even if you have the Shivet Tuve Ha'ir, Ha'ir, there are two limitations that are critical to selling a shul. The first is, over here that's mentioned at the end of Ice Test, You cannot sell a shul or destroy a shul, we're not discussing construction now, um, unless you have another place to daven, um, because otherwise you're going to leave people with no place to daven, and maybe your project will take a long time, as we know construction projects you know, tend to do, and therefore you might leave people with no place to daven. So you cannot destroy a shul, you cannot sell a shul, even if it's b'maymed ancheir, with the consent of the shiva tubeir, the seven custodians or the seven uh, you know, uh, trustees of the community, you cannot do it unless you have another place to daven. There's another limitation. Is my man, I can hear you now. Well, uh, 
We'll get to huh? Good question. Uh, yeah, uh, good point. Yeah. I would pro- probably go based on Rive. Yeah, I would think so. Look over here, Ois Tess. We're gonna get to the application of Lumaisa. Over here, Ois Tess, uh, on the third line, Loshanu Abase Haknesa Shokfarim. Of a base Haknesa Shokrachim. The only time you can do this is if it is a small town. If it isn't a big city of a base Haknesa Shokrachim, Kaven the Ma'alma Osule, Lomasi Mizavniwe. Since people come from out of the city to use the shoe of the city, they are considered to be stakeholders in the shul. Even though they do not live in the community where the shul is found. But since people travel through the city, they're considered to be stakeholders um, in the shul. Kevin the Mayama Osu, Gomatsu Mizavniwe, the Havile Durabim. That's considered to be as if they belong to the shul. Now, it's probably because they contributed to the shul by virtue of passing through. That's why they're considered to be stakeholders or because they feel an affinity to davening, uh, you know, in the shul. But, at least strictly speaking, it has to be the shul belongs to a small city, not that it belongs to a big town, uh, a, a small town, not that it belongs to a big city, because in a big city, other people are considered to be stakeholders. However, over here, too, there are two carve-outs. So, you know, that is, uh, that's mentioned over here on the fourth line, number of Ashi, High Bay Kanisha, the Matamaxia, which was a big city. Matamaxia was a thoroughfare. Um, but since, Afrikaf the Meyama also came into Adaitu Didika also, Iboy Mizab Ninoway. Rabbi Ashi said, people only come to Mount Tamaxia for me. So therefore, they entrust me to do what I see fit together with, you know, for the benefit of the shul. So therefore, Rabbi Ashi says, I have the right to sell the shul. Even though other people come, they forfeit their ownership stake, uh, you know, their rights, their voting rights to me. So that's one uh, interesting exception to this rule. That you can't sell a shul that's in a big city. Even with the approval of the Shivatuba year and the Maimadan year, because it belongs to everyone, that's not if everyone forfeits their rights to uh, you know one central figure. But then the Gemara brings another exception. Maze Ve'amar of Yehuda, Maisa Bebeis Haknesser Shel Tursayim, a Beis Haknesser of the bronze workers. Shahayibu Shalaim Shemachru Le Rebbe Lazar. They sold the shul, even though it was in a big city. Why? So the Gemara explains how he, at the end of the, you know, the four lines from the bottom, how he be kenishta zutahava. That was a small shul, the inhu avdua. So they paid for it, and it was only for them. So even if other people came, it was coincidental. They were nice. They did hachnasus archim. They got them into the shul, but they did not welcome them in as stakeholders, and they didn't seek donations from them. So therefore, they had no rights to the shul in the first place. So even if it's in a big city, if it's only meant to service one small part of the city, um, and so they don't accept donations from abroad, so then you can sell the shul and there aren't considered to be these kind of wandering or, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, stakeholders that are not represented by the Shiva Tuve here, the seven trustees of the city, so because of this, uh, you know, many uh, Poiskim uh, assumed when Jewish communities gentrified and moved from place to place and the topic of selling shuls was, uh, was uh, discussed. It's a big issue in you know, many different kufas in the American life here. You know, we, we know the, the communities where people used to live and no one lives, and there's, you can go on tours of these places and see the old shuls, which is fascinating. So obviously they sold the shuls and, and moved on. So what gave them the right to sell? They weren't selling the shuls to buy Sifrei Torah only. If they do that, that's that's fine. You sell a safer Torah to buy, you know, sell a shul to buy a safer Torah. That's fine. You don't need, you don't need any kind of hetter to do that. But what about to sell it to then use it to buy another shul to use it to, uh, to not even to use for a shul to even you know liquidate the shul entirely, use it for some other uh, mitzvah ma'isim toivim. So are you allowed to do that? So in order to to do it, you would need to establish two things. You would need to establish that it doesn't belong. There aren't random stakeholders, you know, out there. It's not a shul that is. Um, you know, it's a base um shall kfarim and not shall krachim, 
which typically these shuls were, because it was meant to service one constituency, even if it was in a big city, you know, the Bronx, there weren't stakeholders, people donating from outside the Bronx. If there were, then that's different. And if people make mass fundraisers and raise money from other communities for this shul, that makes things a little bit more complicated. It wasn't just the people in the city. Um, but even if people did donate from outside the community, they probably relinquished and forfeited their our voting rights to the people who live there because they, they don't want to stand in the way of the people doing what's best for them. They donated it for their benefit and they, they kind of forfeited their, 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 their interests in the, financially speaking, in the shul to the people who live there for their, you know, for their betterment. So it's probably like the shul of the Tursayim, of the bronze workers, that was either they were the only ones who donated or perhaps similar to Ravashi, that they forfeited their rights to the people uh, who live there. But then you have to sell the shul, can only sell the shul for something else other than a Sefer Torah if it's so many Paiskim who dealt with this in the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s dealt with this, all assumed that the board of the shul, the trustees of the shul, are considered to be Shiva Tuve Ha'ir, they're the trustees of the community, vis-a-vis the shul, and if the membership votes, or they at least announce it to the membership, that's B'maymit Anshe Ha'ir, the people have all found out about it, they have the right to voice their opinion. I, I don't know what happened when they had a dispute, they probably went to a roiv, you know, they voted, and that was the, with that they permitted them to sell the shul. Two things, though, were fascinating discussions. There was an article printed by Rabbi Henkin in the 60s in a journal called Hapardes, where he, 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 he shries against people who liquidate a shul and then take the money for themselves. They distribute it amongst the remaining members. He says, that's wrong. He said, you guys, if, I don't think he was talking about a scenario where they were the ones who funded the shul initially. They inherited a shul from some previous diarist. It wasn't their money in the first place. Or the, even their Zayda's money. It was they, they were the ones who were elected as the last board of the Titanic, you know? So they, so they took the money for themselves. So Rabbi Hankin says, that's terrible. You really shouldn't do that. You should invest it back into the city. He says, even the beer hall, which they sold, for the Shiva Tube Ear, but my ear, right? You can sell the shul even to buy a beer hall. Was a beer hall for the people in the city? It wasn't for, for people who were going to leave the city. So it should be used to invest to, you know, uh, you know, to, to invest in the city. And if no one remains in the city, then it should be used for say for terror, for Khanaskawa, for different things for which you can sell a shul for. He was not happy with people lining their pockets, or for, for Limit Al Terra for sure, right? Supporting Talmud Terra for sure. But in the lining their pockets with the today you can't do it anyway, because if you sell a nonprofit, anyone that knows the legal you know, legalese here. If you sell a nonprofit, you can't transfer it to your own private you know, entity. You have to put in another nonprofit. Okay, so it becomes more complicated anyway. The AG will look into you if you start lining your pockets with it. But so that, that's, uh, that's for sure wrong. The other, you know, questionable. The other issue is what about to sell the shul to buy a church? So that was a different, which is all over the place. Uh, a lot of the shuls that were sold in Harlem, you can take a tour of the old shuls in Harlem, which is fascinating. There's a, the, the, it's all over. Any community which was once inhabited and then moved, all the shuls inevitably are bought by churches. Why? Because they're the only one who are going to pay top dollar for these buildings. First of all, a lot of times it has to go to another nonprofit. And the only people who are interested in purchasing these things uh, there, there are no more Jews left, so the only people interested in purchasing it is the church. So a lot of times that Shaila, you know, came up. Ramesh has one tshuva in Bechsab about it. Ramesh has another tshuva, I, I, I don't know where it is, Balpeh, where he seems to say two different things. He says sell it to a separate entity, through like a shell corporation, that people shouldn't be involved in selling it to the church directly. Some approved of it. Dian Weiss writes in the Minchas Yitzchak, he's, he's not happy about it, but he knows that was the Minig. Uh, the base Avi, who was Yitzchak Libis, who was a big price here in America, was very opposed to it. 
Lamaisa is it? It's uh, you walk around, you see the with the Mug and David and the Baptist Church of uh, whatever. So it, it happens all over the place. That was obviously uh, the minig. The assumption being that the church is not a base of Odesara. You know, for them, it's permitted. Which, which type of? Yeah, so we can uh, we can. We can pick that. apart the uh, it was the theology of the different groups right. of Christianity. Okay, okay, okay. What's a big deal? Really, the building itself right, really has no kedusha. The kedusha goes onto the money. It transfers onto the money. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. 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 Well, that might be part of the debate between the Ramban and the Ramb- uh, and the Ram. Whether it's Tashmishet Kedusha, whether it's Tashmishet Mitzvah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Oh, how do you see that? Well, it could be. It could be the fundamental kedusha is derived. So this aspect or or manifestation of it might be midrabbanah. Meaning, you always have to figure out if the concept is derived or the. Application is derisive. So it could be the concept is derisive, even if the application here is only derabanan, right? Shabbos is derisive. So we have many halachas of Shabbos that only be derabanan. So the concept of Shabbos exists derisive. So some applications are only be derabanan. So this application of selling the shul as a violation of the kedusha of the shul might be derabanan. The kedusha of the shul might still be derisive. How it manifests itself could be in other ways. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, well, like the same way Shabbos, right? We have some halachas of Shabbos derabanan, some are derisive. So to here, some of the aspects of Kedusha, the basic nets might be Durabanan, while the fundamental concept might be Durabanan. So I agree with you. From this Gemara, it sounds like, since we're playing games over here, Shiva Tuveir, Mamed Anshayir, all these kind of, you know, these are not Durabanan, they don't seem like Durabanan concepts. I, I agree with you. It's, it's a fair, uh, fair point. Because of the Kedusha of the Shulha. Gemara itself has a logic of, uh, you know, you sell it and they'll do whatever they want with it. Um, how does, does it apply by the church? Like, how, I mean, we sell it. We, we're not part of what's happening after the sale. Oh, am I responsible vis-a-vis like uh, yeah. Lifnei Iver or... Yeah, what happens after or, they sell it? So, uh, yeah, no. Well, there's a se- separate issue to have a void desire in your house. Like, if I own the house, right? Uh, they don't own the shul anymore. Uh, right, but they don't own it anymore. It's not like I'm renting right. to an Ovid of a desire, which we're discussing in a few right. places. Here, I'm selling it. So I relinquish it. So and it's not really lift either because they can do it without me. So really, to to right, they can find another place, but maybe they can't. Maybe the only place they can have, you know, over here. But either way, the the entity will continue to exist. If not right here, it'll find some other locations. I, I, I don't know. They don't really speak about the lift either aspect. I think I just think it's distasteful. Yeah? I think that's more. Um, and it's related to, you know, kind of weeding out of Odazara. But the more that you believe that these religions are not of Odazara, not for Jews, but for non-Jews, that they're not considered of Odazara, so then I think, that, you know, the, the more, more leniency you can have. Um, the, the, of course, this uh, halacha, this the concept of the Kedusha Beis HaKnesis manifests itself over here with regards to the activities you can do in the shul, not only with regards to selling the shul. So over here, Oisid Alf, the Gemara says, myself is Megil, Tanur Abanan, but the Knesias, A Noigen, Bohen, Kalus Roish. You cannot... Um, act with levity in the shul, you cannot eat or drink in the shul, whether that is because of Kalos Rosh or in addition to Kalos Rosh, two gear cells over there in the Gemara, is it or is it because there's levity inherent in eating and drinking, or because these, uh, you know, those two, the, you know, it's a separate, it has nothing to do with Kalos Rosh, eating and drinking itself is a mundane activity that doesn't uh, belong in the shul, either way, the Gemara says one is not uh, permitted to eat and drink in the shul because it's uh, you know, it's a makom kadosh. However, at the same time, turn the page, we know the Gemara says in Mesef Pesachim, 
that they had uh, some shuls continue this minute, some shuls don't have the minute anymore, but to make Kiddush in shul. Why did shuls make Kiddush Friday night in shul? Says the Gemara, La fuke archim yedei chavvasen da achlu vishanu veganu bebe kenisha. Um, because there were archim, there were guests staying over in shul who were eating um, and drinking in the shul. And they were sleeping in the shul. So you see that there were guests. They were eating and drinking and sleeping in the shul. How could that be? The Gemara Masechus Megillah just said you're not allowed to eat and to drink in the shul. So that's a question that's asked uh, by Tysus and by all the other Rishonim. So Tysus over here in the brackets of Oisid Bey says, How could it be that there are guests sleeping and eating and staying over in the shul? You're not allowed to eat and drink in the shul. So he says, Perhaps, Maybe we're talking only about where they were eating Suda Shabbos in the shul. Uh, and drinking Kiddush, like we have a bris in the shul. And he quotes there from a Yushalmi that they used to make, it's interesting, they used to make a suda of Kiddush HaChaydash. Maybe it's a Rosh suda, it sounds like it's more related to Kiddush HaChaydash, I'm not sure what the uh, precedent here is, but they used to have a suda associated with Rosh Chaydash in shul, and of course we drink Kais Abdallah, they drink the Kais Abris in shul. So any suda shal mitzvah, it sounds like would have been permitted. I don't think that that's enough to answer Tysus' question, and that's why Tysus goes on, because these people were living permanently in the shul. This was like a hostel, it sounds like. They weren't only staying there for Shabbos. They were staying there during uh, the week, too. So therefore, Tysus comes to a different, you know, a different answer at the end. Right? It doesn't mean they were actually sleeping in the shul. They were sleeping in the social hall. They were sleeping in the classrooms upstairs for the Hebrew school. They weren't actually sleeping in the shul proper. And that's why it wasn't a violation of Kedushas Beisachnesis. One approach, though, over here of Tysus is that if it's a Suda Shal Mitzvah, then it is permitted uh, to eat in shul. And other Rishayim and Achrayim echo the sentiments of Tysus. So if it's a Suda Shal Mitzvah, Again, that has no kalos reish. You can't, this is not a heter to have kalos reish at the suda, but if it's a suda, that's a suda's mitzvah. Whether a yard side ticking is a suda's mitzvah or not, is a dispute, you know, probably depends on your orientation. Where you draw the line and what's a suda's mitzvah, people get a little loosey-goosey with this, but if it's a suda's mitzvah... Probably better not to have it in the shul then. Unless the Kalos Rosh is Lishma. It's Yeshiva Shekalos Rosh. If it's Balavata Shekalos Rosh, then if everyone's saying over Purim Torah, it's great. If everyone's uh, doing other things, uh, not, not so much. So, but Shalashudis, you know, in the shul, or, or even the other Shalashudis was the only one typically people had in shul, or Bris in shul. Or other kinds of things that if it's a suda's mitzvah, so then, uh, so then that you could go along the lines of what Tysus said. Even though Tysus provides another answer, I think Tysus only did that because that doesn't help for the people living there during the week. They were sleeping there too. So then the suda's mitzvah wouldn't help for that. So that's why Tysus brought up another answer. But many assume, like this, that if it's a suda's mitzvah, then it should be permitted in the shul. There's another um, um, approach over here, though, in the uh, Rishonim, based on the Gemara back in Megillah. Look over here, Aishad Aleph. So the Gemara says, um, um, on the second line, Amar Rav, Chachamim v'Talmidim mutarin. Chachamim and their Talmidim are permitted to eat and to drink in the shul. Amar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, my Bey Rabbanon, based the Rabbanon. What is the house of the Rabbanon? Is the shul. Is the shul. Is the shul. Ve'enich masan lehem. Here, let's continue the Gemara. The Gemara says, you're not allowed to walk into the shul, b'chamim ne'achama, you know, to protect yourself from the sun, b'chamim ne'achamim, in order to warm up when it's snowing or raining. Ki hadu ravina v'ravada b'armasna, havukaymi v'shayli she'elta me'rava. They were asking a shayla from rava, asa zilcha demitra, and it started to rain on them while they were discussing learning. Ayli lebe'i kanishra, so they came into the shul, 
presumably to protect themselves from the rain. So Amri, so how are they allowed to do this? You're protecting yourself from the rain. Hamri, hide the island, the Mitro, we didn't come into the shul because of the rain. Because in order to succeed in learning, you have to daven too. And the Gemara Mesech does neither, right? In order to be successful in learning, you also have to daven. So they came into shul, daven mincha, maybe they'll have a siyat of the Shmaya in their learning. But even though in the very breath, what the Gemara says, your Tamidah Chachamim were permitted to eat and drink in shul, the Gemara was careful to say, well, these Tamidah Chachamim, even while they were learning, they didn't come into the shul because of the rain, they came in in order to daven. So that already kind of seems to uh, uh, couch this permission, that's, this license that's granted to Tamidah Chachamim in somewhat uh, compromising terms. So therefore the Shulchan Aruch over here writes, Oisid uh, Gimel, the name of the Rambam, Tamidah Chachamim, Tamidah Mutarim Lech of Elishos Behem, Midoichach. They're allowed to eat and to drink in the shul, midoichach, if they have no other option. But otherwise, they really shouldn't eat and drink in the shul, as you see from these Amorim who were discussing Allah, and they didn't enter into the shul, you know, willy-nilly, it was only because they needed to dive to have siyat to deshmaya. So even that's really not the greatest. Other, other Rishonim disagree with the Rambam. And they say, what are you talking about? That's protecting themselves from the rain. Protecting themselves from the rain. You shouldn't come in. Even Tamir Chacham don't have a license to use the shul as their, as their garage. But over, or, you know, if you want to eat and drink, eat and drink is you know, something you need to do while you're learning. Otherwise, you're going to have to disrupt your learning in the process. So for Tamir Chacham, while they're learning, to eat and drink is different than protect yourself from the rain, even if it's not Midoichach. They should be able to use the shul. So many Rishonim are not happy with the Rambam, but the Shulchan Aruch adopts the opinion of the Rambam. However, the Ran and that Gemara look over here at the top of the second side of the page. The Ran and that Gemara Mesechus uh, Megillah says that no, it's even if it's not Midoichach, Tamid Chachamim can use the shul. Um, however, he distinguishes between a shul and a base hamedrash. He says the base hamedrash, even though a base hamedrash has higher kedusha than the shul, ironically, it is more considered to be the base of the rabbanan, and therefore they can use it for their purposes more, uh, more, more readily than the shul, which is not typically where they set up their kind of you know camp. In the shul, it was more in the base hamedrash. So therefore, the Ran says the base hamedrash they could use even if it's not midoychak, and that's quoted by the Rama Look, on, on, over here. Oisid Gimel v'yesh oimim the base hamedrash and third line afil shaloi midoychak shari. Even if it's uh, there's no so the people who are in the base Hamedrish, they can use it for eating and drinking for other things. The Mishabura there writes, anybody who's learning Bekvius in the shul can eat and drink in the shul. They consider it to be, you don't have to have an advanced degree in learning. You don't have to say, Yadin Yadin to be Chacham Tamideyam. If a person has a Kvius of learning in shul, in order not to be Mavatul Torah, he needs to eat and to drink in the shul. Hainu, our breakfast. So then it is uh, permitted in order not to be if we go, have everyone go home for breakfast and come back, it'll be Mabatal Torah. So better to eat and to drink in the shul and uh, we'll be able to learn. And that's also part of this uh, part of this hatha. So no? what, what is the basic success? Some place where they never learn? Huh? Where's, what's the basic success? Where they only daven and don't learn? Where they only daven they didn't learn. Yeah. So yeah. A, a large shul. Basic yeah. Basically, can't yeah. yeah. But where everything rides on is this. Rabbi, say, look over here. I sit off. So at Dvar Mitzvah, if it's for Bittal Torah, you're allowed to eat and to drink in the shul. Otherwise not. Otherwise not. However, so then we're stuck, Rabbi. Say, a lot of people eating and drinking in the shul when it's not that. However, over here, Ois Yud Aleph. The Gemara says at the end of the first line, Amor Avasi, Bateknesios Shebebavel Al Tanai Heino Suyin. The Bateknesios in Bavel were created on condition. On condition. Meaning on condition that they shouldn't have this kind of high level of Kedusha, but even there, you can't do levity in the shul. What did the Tanai accomplish is a huge machlekes rishonim. So look over here, Oisyud Beis, um, Taisvis writes um, that this did not permit them to eat and to drink in the shul while the shul was in existence. They only did it in Bavel because they knew there was no future in Bavel. Ultimately, we're going to go back so they built them on condition that after it will become defunct, after it will become obsolete, and I won't be using the shul anymore, 
ah, then the Kedusha should be removed from the shul, and they should be able to sell it and do whatever they need to do with it, and the place shouldn't remain holy. But it's not that while the shul is functioning, you can create a shul that has no Kedusha vis-a-vis eating and drinking. What does it mean the apple pitane, uh, there's still the issue of Kalos Rosh? Even there, in the hollow, unused shell of the shul, don't make it into a sports center. Yeah, ain't no argument in Rosh. You still have to be careful because there was once a shul here. There was once a shul here. So, that's not, then you can sell it. But otherwise, Tyson's feels even the shell, we should ain't no argument in Rosh. Rashi, which would really limit the application of this time, but it really helps now we understand why it's only in Bavel, where they knew there was no future for the Jewish community, not in Eretz Yisrael. Rashi doesn't say that. If you look at Rashi over there in that Gemara, going over to the second side of the page, Al-Menashi Yishtam no, they made the Tanai so they should be able to use it for eating and drinking while they were there. While they were there. And that's the opinion of the Arzaru as well over here, Oisid Dalin, that you, the Tanai works even while the shul is functioning. You should be able to eat and to drink in the shul. The Ran, and then that Gemara as well, agrees, but he says it's only Midoichach. Meaning they did this when they knew they would have no other option but to make this, uh, this Tanai. And he says that's how they were eating and drinking in the shuls and the Gemara Pesach and the Kiddush and Shul. It's because we're talking where they made a Tanai. They made a condition that the shul would be permitted uh, for eating and drinking and that's how they were able to do it. So according to Rashi and the Orzarua and the Ran, this can be allowed a Tanai that will you know, permit us, a carve out, permit us, we're building the shul, permit us to eat and drink there. Tysus holds it only works after the shul is no longer functioning. While the shul is in existence, the Tanai does not work. Unfortunately, we paskin like Tysus. So look over here, Ois Tezayin. The uh, Shulchan Aruch says, while the shul is functioning, no tenai works to permit eating and drinking in the shul. It's only after the shul is no longer functioning. Nonetheless, the Bir Halacha says, obviously, many shuls were lenient to eat and to drink indiscriminately in the shul, not only for Dvar Mitzvah, not only in the middle of a shir for Tamid HaChachamim. What is that based on? Must be, it's based on the fact that we rely on Rashi, we rely on the Orzarua, we rely on the Ran, at least Midoichach, that uh, uh, Tanai works even while the shul is in existence, and the Bir Halach writes that that's what many were mako upon, is that, uh, is that the, the, the shuls, at least in Babel, the Mishnah Bura says, if you're going to go with this far, it could even be in Eretz Israel too, while the shuls are built, they have in mind, they're not endowing it with full measure of Kedusha vis-a-vis eating and drinking, it should be permitted, um, you know, in, in the shuls, and that's what we rely on, even though that's not the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch, we're Saimech on the Shittas that are, that are lenient, or Maishas are true about this, or Shulchan writes like this, this is what our shuls are based upon. However, it would still be a Nogim and Kavos Rosh. You couldn't do certain levity in the shul, which restricts the different things we want to do in our shul. So therefore, the Paiskim created a different mechanism, that perhaps when we build our shuls, there's no Kedusha at all. Meaning we built the shul not as a shul. We built the shul as a shtibol, as a house, a place for davening. But it is not a shul at all. And therefore we can use it for anything that we would like. We don't have to be bothered with a lot of these kinds of regulations. So that was a svar that's brought up over here by the Imre Yosha, the Divrei Chaim, as a chuvah about this too. We, it's the same thing. That's why they were careful not to call their shuls a base HaKnesses or even a base HaMedrish. They called it a shtibol. Because it was a house, that was it, that was all that it was. It was a place for davening. And therefore, you know, that's how they, they, they created that, that entity. However, just one second. However, if that's the case, you don't have Kedusha's basic Knesset at all. Rav Moshe writes over here in the Igris Moshe, if you're going to do this, your shul is chulin, your shul is chul. There's no Kedusha to basic Knesset at all, which would be bothersome, because the Gemara says in B'Sechtas Brochus, you know, ain't feel shaladim in your tefillah is only heard in shul. So there's a kedusha to the Beis Hagneses, and perhaps that elevates our tefillah. It's a big machlek is why you have to dive in shul. Is it because it's a makom yucha for tefillah, right? Otherwise I have distractions, and this is my makom kavua for tefillah, or is it because the kedusha of the shul 
means that Kaddish Baruch Hu is more readily accessible in the shul. That's a machlek is how to interpret that Gemara Brachis. If it's because the Kaddush of the shul contributes to my tefillah, it's a little bit bothersome that we'd be davening then in a random house, you know, as opposed to be davening in a basic Knesset or in a basic Medish. Rabbi Moshe writes, if you're going to go with this, then your shul is cooling. However, one final thought. I was so happy when I found this. Rabbi Sternbach writes in the Chubbis Van Haggis, not true. He says to Rabbi Moshe, not true. The shul is not cooling. Just because you made a condition that there should be no restrictions in terms of the conduct in the shul does not mean it cannot be a makam yucha for tefillah. Does not mean it cannot be holy, at least vis-a-vis tefillah. Ramesha says you can't do that. You can't create your own kedusha that has no restrictions. That's like Master Masha Kasabatayra. I want to get married, but I only want this aspect of marriage and not that aspect of marriage. You can't do that. So so too, Ramesha says you can't create a shul that has one aspect, one benefit of the shul, but none of the drawbacks of the shul. You can't do that. Shrava says, why not? So if Shrava says over here, when they built his shul, before we put the Aaron Sefer Torah in, it's a place for Torah and Tefillah. We should have the benefits of davening and shul. We can do whatever we want in the shul. And he felt, don't tell me you can't have one with the other. Yes, you can have one with the out the other. I understand where Ramesh is coming from. I would like to believe that Rishonbach is correct. I'm not sure that he is. It sounds to me like you can't have Kedusha. Kedusha is defined by restrictions. If there's no restrictions, there's no Kedusha. But I understand where Rishonbach is coming from, that perhaps we can have both. We always hope to have the both, you know, the best of both, uh, best of both worlds. One final comment, just as someone asked to talk about it. Look over here when it says to not eat and to drink in the shul, the Bialacha says, um, looking back, over here, Aisid Gimel. This includes drinking water in the shul. Drinking water in the shul. You're not allowed to drink water in the shul unless you have a tanai and all that. So how is it that we drink water in the shul? We drink other things in the shul? Must be. We made a tanai. Must be. We made a you know, condition in the shuls. Or maybe it's not an achila sarai. And therefore, we're permitted to drink water and to coffee uh, during uh, in shul. However, that doesn't mean you can eat and to drink during davening. Eating and drinking during davening is an entirely uh, separate issue. Eating and drinking during davening, you know, this might be a hefzik issue. Certainly, I don't think represents the attitude we should approach uh, tefillah with. Uh, my chavar Bakiva Willig sent me last night a host tickle Torah. He wrote about the phenomenon. Unfortunately, people uh, you know eating and drinking during davening. That's a whole separate. Uh, Whole separate thing. It might be a hefzik between Baruch Shemar and Yishtabach, even though it's only in the middle, middle of Sukkot Zimra. That's mean? a whole separate issue. Of, of uh, practically speaking, what do you mean? Uh, people uh, drinking uh, from. No. Mitim Sukkot Zimra. Yeah. So before davening, fine. Before davening, fine. After davening, fine. Maybe until Baruch Shemar. But in the middle of davening, probably not. Probably not. It's the wrong attitude and everything. Even though our shoes are built up here tonight, even with all the conditions and everything that we, we, we explain. You know, so then, uh, yeah. What about davening in like a house? Shkaya, shkaya. It's not a shul, it's not a basic message. It will make me be my name.